0: This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentleman of Bird Campbell, PA. Bird Campbell means business. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 121 of the duke basketball report podcast this is our july edition it is thursday july 26th 2018 i am your host sam klein i'm going to talk about my life shortly but before i do that i want to bring in my co-hosts uh so first of all of course we have donald wine who's in washington dc donald it's been a minute uh since i saw you what two weeks ago at the all-star game how you doing bud
1: I'm doing good. Uh, And it's funny, you saw me in D.C. and I am not in D.C. right now. I am calling in right now for you guys from High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. Why am I in Utah? Well, me and my buddy here uh, from D.C., we flew out here to hang out for the day before driving up to Montana for a good friend's wedding tomorrow. So I am on the road. uh, I have a nice drink in my hand and uh, I'm feeling great about the basketball season.
0: I love it. I love it. And our other host, of course, is Jason Evans in Atlanta. Jason, hello. Hey, and uh,
2: I'm not going to say anything because I want you to talk about where you are. You is way more interesting what's happened to Sam than anything going on with me right now. Yeah, where so, are
0: you, Sam? Yeah, so, well, I I, I did say I was... I was with Donald in Washington a couple weeks ago. We were we met up at the Home Run Derby. I also got to go to the All Star Game as Donald did the next night. Uh, It was it was a lot of fun. I recommend if you are a baseball fan and have the opportunity, of course, to attend either of those events in your life, you absolutely should take advantage. But now I am no longer in DC. I am moved into my apartment here in Durham, uh, the home of the Blue Devils, the Bull City. Uh, So I am I am at Duke now, and uh, orientation for. For NBA class uh, starts next week, so I am I am gearing up to be to be back in school, to be back at Duke, uh, and and ready to um, ready to be you know here in person for for football and and for basketball seasons uh, for the next two years. So I'm I'm really psyched. I've gotten to meet a lot of my classmates, um, a couple of the couple of the faculty members here. So it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be really cool. I'm I'm very excited. Uh, very excited to be back in Durham and back at Duke. There's there's so much cool new stuff that that opens here. It's, it seems like every time I come back and I have spent the last few days sort of disc- rediscovering Durham or, or discovering all the new great things that are going on here. So if you haven't been back to Durham, uh, unless it was very recently, man, you don't know how, how much things are changing here. Uh, so much going on. In Durham, I'm I'm excited to be here. But I we have a lot of cool stuff to talk about today. It's been Sam. Before we continue, the,
1: before we continue, what yes. you have to do, you have I'm giving you your first bit of homework. Uh, uh, okay, as business, I, I've as, actually business had to, school.
0: I've I've actually already had to do some homework, but homework okay, from so you. So I'm giving Let's you your
1: it. second bit of homework. Your your homework is to uh, send a picture to Jason and I of the couch that we can sleep on when we come down to visit you in Durham.
0: Oh, I bought a. I bought a lovely uh, queen slope uh, sleeper sofa, so uh, I, I can't guys, wait. Not only, not only can you both come, but but there's actually room for both of you on the couch if if you're into if you're into cuddling. Uh, oh, there we go. So I'll, I will I will leave that decision to the two of you. And if not, <laughs> I, there's plenty of floor space for uh, for an air mattress. So yes, I will do that.
2: Uh, awesome! I, I love you guys. I'm. I'm. I love you guys. I'm not cuddling with either one of you. I'm sorry. That's just. <laughs> that's
0: fine.
1: That's not
2: going to happen.
1: <laughs> All right. Not a, hey, hey. Jason's not a cuddler, do, ladies and gentlemen.
0: You do. You do. You. Uh, anyway, we've got. We've got a ton of content today because it's been a little bit since our last show. The last time I was with you guys was two months ago because I missed our NBA draft um, wrap-up show because I was I was out and about and and couldn't get online that week. But uh, so I I did listen in though I listened to the whole episode I really loved it I appreciated having do on uh, in my place I was honored to get his analysis of the draft and we are actually going to circle back and talk a little bit about some of those NBA guys but the highlight of the show this week is a interview we we did a few days ago with Stephen Paliuka Duke fans have probably heard his name in a few different places so Stephen graduated from Duke. In 1977, he played briefly on the basketball team while he was here at Duke. Uh, he then began a successful career in private equity investing, which uh, some steps down the road led him to be part of the ownership group of the Boston Celtics. He's been in that role since 2002. And uh, under his leadership, the Celtics, have they won the 2008 NBA Finals. And of course, we know that his squad is poised to be one of the favorites this year in the Eastern Conference, if not the favorite in the Eastern Conference, and on top of all of that, Duke fans probably remember two of his sons, Joe and Nick, who played at Duke uh, on the basketball team. Joe, of course, graduated in in two thousand seven. Nick, and um, only just last year, and uh, both of those guys got to got to play in Final Fours. So they've had they had a lot of success here in Durham. Um, but I want to get to our interview with Stephen. Um, And then when we're done, we'll go ahead and and sort of wrap up our thoughts on that. And then after that, we're going to get into the the men's basketball non-conference schedule that Duke uh, put out just today. And then we're going to go around the horn and kind of highlight some of the Some of the NBA players that have, you know, recent Blue Devils who are in the NBA uh, who've had developments over the summer that we just want to check in with. So a lot of topics this week. We won't touch on the upcoming games in Canada, the exhibition games that the Blue Devils are going to play around Toronto in a few weeks. We're going to touch on that in a later episode. We have another cool interview coming soon that we won't get to this week, but I promise you guys will enjoy it. It's with another uh, notable Blue Devil um, from from the past, uh, who who we've all, or we also get to talk to. So uh, without further ado, let's hear the interview with Stephen Paliuca that Jason and Donald did the other day. So I'm thrilled
3: now to say that we are joined by Steve Paliuka, who is a Duke dad, um, not just of a regular student, but of two basketball players and and a daughter who also attended Duke. Um, and uh, he also happens to own the Boston Celtics. So Steve, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us here on the DBR podcast. We're, we're thrilled to have you uh, uh, in our presence. Uh, the Celtics are obviously a... a Huge favorite of all Duke fans nowadays because you guys have lots of Dukies on the roster.
4: Yeah, it's really it's really fun. Uh, it's great to see Shemmy up here. Shemmy was uh, actually actually went to Duke, then SMU, but he was my son Nick's roommate his first year at Duke, and uh, we got Jason Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving. So it's uh, it's fantastic.
3: So, uh, Steve, the way we're going to work this is um, uh, Donald is going to come in now and he's going to ask you a little bit about your sons at Duke and about your relationship to the school. And then um, uh, once he asks his questions, I'm going to come back and we'll talk a little bit more about the NBA. But let's start with the Duke stuff, the fun stuff. Donald, take it away. All
1: right. Thanks, Jason. And and Steve, thank you again for joining the podcast. Um, uh, let's talk about Duke basketball. As you as mentioned, your son, Joe uh, was on the team and graduated in 2006. Uh, Nick also played and graduated in 2007 and your daughter, Stephanie was a 2013 Duke graduate. Uh, what was, what's your relationship with the Duke program? Like what was it before they entered school and how did it change when they became, uh, students?
4: Well, it goes way back to the in fact I attended Duke in, in 1973 and, uh, graduated in 77. And oddly enough, I, I was, uh, Looking at many college football programs myself, and I I played football and and basketball in high school, and I was down there uh, potentially going to be a look at the Duke football team, and I was playing in in Car Gym, which is still there today, the old the old Car Gym, and uh, uh, some of the coaches came and asked me to try out for the uh, freshman team. They used to have a kind of a freshman team back in those days and and, and a, a varsity team. Uh, because they, they saw me playing and they thought I had some talent. So I ended up uh, making that team myself and, and, uh, I, uh, my claim to fame is I was probably the, the worst player on the worst Duke team ever in 1974 and that record, you know, won't be broken over, over the next 50 years. So I had the opportunity to play, <laughs> play, uh, <laughs> with those guys. Uh, they had some great players on that team. Tate Armstrong was, was an Olympian. Um, he was a fantastic shooter and, but, uh, he was kind. Of, he was kind of the whole team, and they. They. I graduated in '77, and and they, of course, turned the program around, starting in in '77, '78, and and I think went to the went to the quarterfinals. So, I have a long, long relationship with Duke, and I was thrilled. Uh, both of, all three of my sons played college basketball. The third one you didn't mention went to Amherst and and played on the freshman. I played on the team in Amherst uh, that actually won the championship in a few years ago. So they all played high school basketball. were were very good players the Boston area kind of 20 point 17, 20 point scorers. And, um, they just fell in love with Duke and, and had the opportunity to, to try out to, for, for the Duke team and and 10 years apart, both of them, um, made the Duke team as a, as a walk-on and, uh, and they really enjoyed the experience. It was just, just incredible, incredible for, for my family.
1: And, and Joe was on the 2014 that went to a final four. Um, played with future retired jerseys and Sheldon Williams and JJ Redick, uh, also my team, um, because that that was when I graduated. I'm dating myself. Uh, but what was your greatest memory of of Joe's time at Duke uh, of any of those games?
4: Uh, that that was a, re- a really good team, and and uh, I think Sheldon got in foul trouble. Uh, in in the, we were in San Antonio for the Final Four, and uh, he got in foul trouble and fouled out of the game, and we lost a very close game to a great UConn team. So. Um, I'll always remember that that very tight game. I actually attended a game with, the, with with Danny Ainge uh, down in San Antonio, and uh, it was really really uh, you know fantastic to see.
3: We, we were we were robbed in that game. The officials I, fouled everyone over the side of six five out of the game. It was a crime. I was I was yeah, the first lot, person
1: were... I was the first person in the Duke section to get their tickets for that game. I was in row one, seat one. So I have a vivid memory of that game,
4: and this is the first I've ever spoke of it. Yeah, wow, it was amazing. And yeah, Okafor had a lot of fouls himself. But I think he was one short of fouling out as well. So, uh, but but you know that's how basketball goes. Sometimes it, sometimes the, uh, the official gods are with you, and sometimes they're not. And, and that was that was a, a very close, hard fought game. And, 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 and UConn was a good team. But yeah, Joe had a fantastic Joe had a fantastic season. Uh, you know, what, what I remember once also is is, is Joe hurt his back, and uh, this shows you about Coach K. So Joe was a bench player and a and a walk on player, but he had a, a, a disectomy uh from a back injury sustained in practice and and I remember at the hospital when he came out came out of the uh, the hospital the first uh, they handed him right on the gurney they handed him a cell phone, and it was coach k calling to check up on him and and really pay attention to him so that just shows you you know the kind of level of of carrying that coach k has for the players and that that's impressed me then it's impressed me you know' his whole run at duke
1: yeah and and you know fast forward to twenty fifteen you know, Nick played on the 2000, on that national championship team, you know, how was, how was that, you know, watching one of your, your kids, you know, lift a national championship trophy, get a ring. How was that experience for you as, as, as a, as a parent?
4: That was a really incredible experience. Uh, uh, very, very rare to get that. And, and, uh, we had watched the same thing at Amherst with my son Jesse as well, so we were fortunate to be at the, at the uh, Division Three championship that which Amherst won, and, uh, and and also the Knicks championship. So the whole family was there. Jesse came down from Amherst, and my daughter came, and uh, and and Joe came, and his wife, and the whole family. Um, and and that whole run was incredibly uh, exciting. I I remember Julie for his his. Um, his family was almost like a a kind of traveling cheering section and uh, we, it was infectious and and the family group bonded together, the team bonded together and they won some extraordinary, extraordinary games the the game against uh, Wisconsin, which was a fantastic team. You know, was, was just amazing. Okay. Now we've talked about
1: both your kids that played at Duke. This is the part where we get to tell you to pick one. Um, You played at Duke back in the day. I'm sure you've played both of them one-on-one um two-part question one which one is better at one-on-one and when was the last time you beat any of them at a game of pickup wow
4: <laughs> you know i i kind of it out i stopped i stopped playing them when they were they were good enough to beat me which was probably 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 uh uh it, both in their in their sophomore junior years in high school i, I was time on when Joe when joe went through um but uh, they were they were they were they were they were different but complementary players uh you, you know Joe is a pure shooter um and i think he led his team in in uh, in scoring in high school and, and threes and nick 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 had a little more athleticism and, and penetration abilities as well as made shoot three so I, I think they they still play today and i think it's real close you know i think it's, i think it's kind of 50-50 they're both about the same size they're kind of they're kind of clones of each other 10 years apart so they're almost like twins 10 years apart and uh and they have a lot of fun playing out there.
1: And, and now that they have all you know, graduated and moved on, what is your relationship now with the Duke basketball program and the university as a whole?
4: Well, I've been fortunate to, uh, I think four years ago, join the board of trustees. Uh, I was also before that uh, on the undergraduate board and, and chairman of the undergraduate board. So I've had a long, you know, 20 year, 25 year, ever since I left the school relationship with Duke. Um, I showed up at Duke, it's, it's funny back in the day, versus my kids i grew up in in new jersey and played basketball and football and i applied to a, a bunch of colleges i never went to any college that that, that i was going to go to at that point in time and you just apply out of a brochure and i like to do brochure and i and uh i got into a few colleges and i said gee it's warm weather down there looks like a great place just on you know just from the brochure no internet in those days <laughs> and i i to put myself through school i was uh I worked for a moving company, you know, kind of moving furniture in and out of trucks and and driving it across across either across the country or locally. And uh, I was able to get my last job was a, a truckload going to Florida, and I convinced the guy uh, to not only hire me but I went with him and he he just, he would he would drop me uh, off at Duke. So uh, it was a friend of mine's uh, father in high school was the trucker, and my friend was there with me too, and so we we rolled up to Duke in a 45-foot giant, you know, tractor-trailer moving van. And uh, people thought, wow, this is some really wealthy person showing up. All I had was one duffel bag and went, went to the back of this truck, pulled out the duffel bag, and they actually slept in the parking lot. But that was my introduction to Duke and showing up on a on a moving van and furniture I had loaded to go down to to Florida. And and, and ever since the first day there, I've I loved Duke. I walked under those arches on West Campus. And, and uh, ever since the first day I was there, I said, this is just a – a great place and and the basketball in the ACC now, but then was just infectious. Uh, The ACC was, 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 was dominant league uh, when I went to school there and, uh, and every night uh, when teams came in, it was the students were, were going crazy. They used to wear the lefty Drizel bald heads and sit, sit across the bench. It's actually probably, probably a tamer now than it even was then when you had, 25 people show up with bald heads sitting right behind the coach in Maryland. It was it was incredible. So really, really great experience. I actually, I played for two years and sprained my ankle. And in the in the, in the junior and senior year where I didn't play, I realized I'd be much more likely to to be a good accountant than a good basketball player. Uh, I studied accounting. But I did, uh, back in those days, they had a university-wide one-on-one tournament. and I made it into the finals and actually won it my senior year. And they played the finals at halftime of the Carolina game. So to think of that, in those days, the halftime show was the one-on-one championship at Duke University. And I played in the finals uh, my senior year and, and, uh, and won it in 1977. So uh, that, that was my one basketball accomplishment at Duke.
3: Oh, my God, that's such an awesome story. I, I had no idea that they did that. They, they had stopped doing that by the time I got there in the mid-80s. Um, they, they need to bring that back. Guys, I think that'd be cool.
4: Yeah, it was it was it was it was a lot of pressure. I remember my my uh, my junior year, uh, I was kind of I was kind of arrogant because I had played basketball. So I took all they didn't have a three point shot then, but I took all shots from the top of the key. And a guy beat me by driving in. And so my my senior year, I started to do the same thing. One of my one of my roommates ran out on the court and said, "Stop doing that!" So I so I, so so you got to win this one. So I drove in and and I scored a couple of buckets. And and I think you, I think the game was to eleven. But um, it, it it was a, such a defensive struggle that I think I scored seven or eight points and then the team had to come out so they declared me the victor because I was ahead of eight seven I think at the time the the team had to come come back out in the court so it was really really a thrill to to, to play that play that match at the halftime of Cameron but uh, I, I think they they're they're on to better things now
3: well well Steve we're gonna we're gonna move on from your time at Duke and your relationship with Duke to the NBA which is obviously what you're really known for now. <laughs> talk to me really quickly. So, I mean, you're, you played basketball, you were a really good basketball player, and now you're a team owner, lifelong dream. And tell us how it happened that, that you got to own an NBA team.
4: Well, I was very fortunate. Uh, I had, uh, come, come to Boston and, and, uh, joined Bain and company and, and got into the private equity business and you know, worked my way up in that. And, uh, a friend and, and neighbor in, in my town, Weston, uh, named Wick Grosbeck, who's a fantastic uh, guy called me and said that he had a, a line in to possibly purchase the Celtics. And at first I thought, uh, well, that, that sounds uh, like a, it's, it's a big challenge. And, and, uh, but I loved basketball and, and I really hit it off with Wick. And so he, I came over to his house and, and he asked me to partner with him, uh, to, to and his father to try and buy the Celtics. And within three or four days, I'd agreed. And, and uh, we signed a contract, and and then the rest is history. Uh, it, it's been a, a wonderful partnership, and we we brought in uh, many many more folks in the community. Uh, Wick actually quit his job and became the CEO. I stayed at Bain Capital, but uh, Wick has actually driven the success as a CEO and, and owner of the team as well. And, and uh, I think our our original philosophy in buying the team we had we had three major objectives. The first one obviously was to try to build a championship team, and that's that's the hardest one. The second, which was more accomplishable, was to make it a better fan experience. So we'd done a study of the stadium and fan amenities, and and uh, the, the previous ownership you know, had not focused as much on that. And so, so we had a plan to really improve the fan experience, get them closer to the players, closer to the action, and you know, more things for the fans. And the third, and, and maybe most important, was to use the Celtics brand for community development. So we formed something called the boston celtics shamrock foundation and uh, i became the the, the president of that foundation and the ownership group uh was fantastic they they all joined and and donated money and that was about 15 16 years ago now we've given away millions of dollars to uh, hundreds of kids programs and built technology centers and become a a kind of leading um, force in the community and our players have jumped in so those were the kind of the three objectives and uh Back on the first one, you know, we we uh, we decided to to uh, invest a lot more money in scouting technology um, to try to try to improve the basketball operations. And the key thing was uh, being able to land Danny Ainge, a former Celtic legend, to kind of lead the program, and Wick uh, becoming the CEO, and directly and Rich Gotham and 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 and, and, uh, and a bunch of key individuals basically put our heads down, took a long-term strategy to, to, to build a championship team. And, and we, we did that within six years and, and, uh, and then have rebuilt down and, and now we're in good shape as well. And and this time it's going to be good uh, shape. You guys are in great fun. shape, <laughs> great shape. And, and, uh, and I love having, having three, three dookies out there on the Celtics right now.
3: Well, let me ask you about Danny Ainge very quickly. Um, uh, do other owners <laughs> ever come up to you and say, you guys are not fair. He, it feels like he's playing, you know, three dimensional chess and the rest of the leagues playing checkers. Uh, I mean, are are you just amazed at some of the moves he's made, um, to put you guys in, uh, there's no other team in the league. I, I don't say this as a Celtic fan. I say this as a fan of the NBA. There's no team that is in the position that you all are of having incredible young talent, a great mix of veterans, um and
4: unbelievable assets moving forward. Like how has Danny done it? Yeah, Danny's an extraordinary individual. I, I was uh, close friends of Danny uh before we bought the Celtics and in fact uh, we called him to consult with him on who we should hire. And fortunately he he decided during the consulting process that, that he'd like to take a run on it. He had a fantastic career, as you know, as a player, as a coach, uh working in in, in the front office. Um he he uh He also was a a commentator, a great commentator. I think people forget that he was an excellent analyst. So we thought at at that point in time, he wouldn't want to really switch jobs because he had a great job and was making a lot of money. But as the more he got into it, he decided he wanted the job. And so uh, Wick and I talked and he met the ownership group. And and we were very impressed from the get-go because, number one, the little fact is he's a hard, hard worker. So, so he looks at every player. He follows them, you know, from from five years old till till, till they're they're in the NBA, on a global basis. Uh, he's 24 by 7, and he has a rare skill of being of have, have have been in all the positions. You know, he's been a, a star player, he's been a, a star college player, he's been a coach. So he he knows basketball from every level, you know, soup to nuts, from the business end to the strategic end and uh and so we do think we're blessed to have him and and he's built a staff that's incredible as well so that the, the team is a high functioning team with mike zarin and austin Ainge and dave lewin um, and they've been together a long long time so so we feel, feel blessed to have that kind of talent i think the rest of the league is is jealous although the wrestling has some great guys too daryl morey worked for us and he's now the gm of houston he's put together a great team and Joe Lake was part of our our ownership group here in Boston before he he got involved with the Warriors. So we have a lot of – Chris Wallace is down at the – he used to be our our assistant general manager manager and assistant general manager uh, is down at the Grizzlies. So there's a lot of former Celtics folks out there, Doc Rivers, throughout the league. But uh, Danny is is truly just an extraordinary individual. And I think a rare combination of someone who thinks strategically but also can can, can, – uh, quickly assess and and make great great uh, tactical trades to improve the team so it's it's a rare combination of skills.
0: Yeah,
3: speaking of tactical trades, so the move last year to get Jason Tatum um uh did did you have any uh insight, uh special insight into him because um of his of his time at Duke um and because obviously you you know you're going to watch the Duke team a little more closely probably than other uh college teams because because of your loyalty to the school um uh, you know, did you have any any say at all on that, or were you just a happy bystander?
4: You know, it's it's interesting. Danny Danny is is uh, uh, another great skill he has is he, he he talks to everyone, has discussions, and and the, the ownership group of WIC and myself we're we're more of a strategic sounding board for him. You know, rather than any, any kind of specifics on, on on who who what players should be picked. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the Danny Danny is, is 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 gets any kind of information he can, and I remember. The first time I ever saw Jason Tatum play was in the blue-white game at Duke. And uh, that blue-white squad probably had four or five McDonald's All-Americans on it. And I'd seen, you know, games for 25 years down there. But literally, I ran out of the gym at uh, of Cameron after that blue-white game. And I called Dean and I said, I said, I said, Danny, there's this kid, Jason Tatum. He, he looks like a, he looks like Paul Pierce. He looks like a pro, you know, playing at some of the best competition with five McDonald's All-Americans. He's head and shoulders above everybody else i said he's got to be you know up there in the cup, cup top couple in my opinion uh of players that that will will be in the draft and danny said yes i've been following him since he's five years old he's incredible he's one of the best high school players in the world so danny danny knew a lot about jason and had him on the radar screen from day one um and and which which is, is again why i think danny's so great he knew all about jason but i got to see jason play for you know 20, I think 25 times a year i saw every game and uh, and 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 felt like you know he he was was a fantastic player in a group of of players that were really good that year.
3: But but you know can I let, let me jump in and ask Did you realize how good he'd be in the pros? I mean his uh, the, what he did for you guys down the stretch, especially once Kyrie Irving uh, got hurt, uh, had to have shocked even you, didn't
4: it? Yeah, I think I think no one expected. Uh, uh, there's been very few players, um, very few players that have had that kind of impact. In their first year in the league, especially at 19 years old, so uh, we knew he had potential, and uh, I knew from seeing him in the Blue White game and watching the Duke season, he had some ups and downs on his shooting, but a lot of that was caused by the fact that he had a stress fracture. So I think had he not had that stress factor, fracture, the rest of the NBA might have seen him in a different way because he started to really heat up in the ACC tournament, if you remember, and and uh, the NCAA tournament, but that was at the tail end of the season, uh, and he was hampered by that injury and. and if, you're, if you have a stretch fracture and you're injured, your shot's going to be a little off. So he was not really taking the three that much in the first 15 games or so. And he started doing that in, in the ACC tournament and, and penetrating and driving and looking like the great player that he is. But he's almost he's almost unique in the fact that I can't remember a person that had that much impact uh, coming to the NBA with their 19 coming in their first year. So, yeah, I think he surprised everybody. We thought he'd be a great player. Long term, but but he it turns out with the injuries that we had, he had to step up and he stepped up and you know really was one of the driving forces to get us to the Eastern conference final. Uh,
3: so I, I want to ask you a little bit, just really quickly, about the NBA and how it's changed since you became an owner. I mean, David Stern was there when you were first uh, an owner, and and now we've moved on to Adam Silver, um, but the league's relationship with amateur basketball. Um, feels like the thing that's really changed. Can Can you talk about that a little bit? And I'm not not only talking about you know one and done, but but just uh, you know, the, it, Tatum's 19. The league is now full of guys who are so so so
4: young. Yes, there's been a, there's just been a, a, a David Stern and Adam Silver. I think you know, collectively and uh, have done a fantastic job as commissioner of the NBA. And, and i i don't know if you know but adam that that that, that uh, adam silver is on the board of duke and is a duke is a is a Dukie as well
3: so yeah can can by the way can uh, you put in a good word we'd love to interview him
4: as well <laughs> yeah you you should interview him he's he's uh he's been he's been incredible as a commissioner incredible on the duke board and he's just a very talented guy but i think the the world has recognized that that these players have gotten better and better. You know, you have specialization quicker. And you know, when I was in high school, I played football, basketball, and and uh multiple sports. You know, right now people specialize early, um, they're there are and they get better earlier and have better training. And uh and and there's been the kind of Lisa Rice commission really trying to figure out, you know, what is the direction of basketball in America. So I think you'll see some changes coming out of that. Um Adam has really enhanced the development league, what's called the G league right now. And so there are more avenues for players to come in at, at a younger age and, and, uh, and, and develop. So I think you're seeing right now we're in the middle of a, of a transition and and, and people are talking about uh, real changes in college. You've already seen, you know, major changes in college. The Condoleezza report uh, really indicated that, uh, you know, a lot of the colleges are not, not as happy with the one and done, and, and, and I think they, they they said that there should be uh, more access to the NBA. And I think Adam and the NBA is taking that under advisement, and we'll, we'll see where all that goes. But I think you're in, in the middle of change, and I wouldn't be surprised at some point, you know, to see younger players back in the league. But we had that when we bought the team in 2003. You could draft high school players, uh, and then they went away from that. But you are seeing, you know, more and more development of players at a younger, younger age.
3: So I I think we're ready to wrap it up. I, I want to thank you so much. You've been fabulous. It's been uh, really great to talk to you. We have a tradition here. Every time we have someone on, we ask them for a Coach K story, and we've gotten some good ones. We've gotten stories about Coach K coming in the locker room with a samurai sword and to to you know inspire the team and and other really uh, interesting tales um, about you know their interactions with Coach K. I know that you haven't had quite as much you know intimate interaction with him um uh you know as, as a player would but do you have a good coach K story you can give to all of us as as we uh wrap up the interview
4: well I actually I've been fortunate in that I've attended uh I think I I was in my my 11th or 12th uh, coach K camp this summer um so so I played in the coach K camps and got to know him you know through his through his his fantastic uh, camp that he runs I'm now, I'm now getting so ancient that I'm, I'm moving to the golf division, but I did the basketball for, for nine or 10 years there. Uh, but I guess my, 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 my most interesting story would be, uh, when Nick was on, when, when Joe was on the team back in 2004, I think the team that went to the, went to the final four, uh, they had had one practice that didn't wasn't going so well. And, and so I think shortly into the practice and Joe was a freshman, so he was incredulous when this happened. I think coach K, uh, picked up a, a, one of those big garbage cans and threw it out of the court and said, you know, you guys are playing terrible. You don't deserve to wear a Duke uniform. Um, so I'm just canceling practice today. So the team was stunned and, um, you know, walked off the floor dejectedly and, uh, you're not allowed to practice again until the next day. And I think what they ended up doing was calling all the players at 1159 at night and they went in for practice at a at, at little after midnight, I think, to, to, to be responsive to the rules. And I think that really turbocharged, propelled that team uh, with their eyes wide open on what the standard of Duke would be. So uh, I think I think uh, Coach K uses all the techniques, but that one was one that that certainly, you know, got the attention of the team and, and put them on a great run to make the Final Four.
3: Well, Steve, thanks for sharing that with us and thanks again for joining us here on the on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Um, great, great insight. And, and again, congratulations on the success of your family, your kids, um, the success of the Boston Celtics, both in the past and uh, very much in the future. We will all be watching. Um, can't wait to see what uh, Kyrie and Jason Tatum do together um, this coming year. Oh, and you know what? I just remembered, I have to ask you, because Duke fans everywhere wonder about this. If when the day comes that coach K retires and leaves, how will you feel if Brad Stevens,
4: you know, talks
3: about or thinks about coming to take coach K's place at Duke?
4: Look, well, I, I, you know, the funny thing is I bleed, uh, bleed green and blue and love both of those guys. And I, I can't imagine a world without coach Left, I think he's still going strong. And, uh, and so, and so, so I, th- I think they'll both have huge careers at their respective institutions. You know, Co- Co- the interesting is one thing that Coach K has always taught is, is that the best thing in life is being part of something, which you guys are too, part of something bigger than yourself. And, and being part of the Duke, you know, basketball program ever since I came there in, in 1973, I think has been a big part of my life. And, uh, you know, one of the most fulfilling things, seeing, seeing my kids go there, seeing the the, the success that, that Duke kids have come in the NBA and in and, and business and coach K's success and Duke university as a whole. So it's been a big part of my life. And I've been fortunate because I've, I've been really, I had the trifecta. I've, I was able to be part of an organization at Bain Capital that's done the same thing and part of the Boston Celtics. So I couldn't, I couldn't be happier and, and uh, uh, and now it's kind of all melding together with uh, having Kyrie up here and, and, and Tatum uh, being such a star. It's just uh, we couldn't be in a better place. So I'm excited about 2018, excited as I've ever been. And maybe I'll even come out of retirement off the golf course and do the basketball again next year. I feel so good about it.
3: <laughs> Sounds good. to uh, Steve, again, thank you so much. Great interview. We appreciate it, sir. All right. Great to be here. Bye-bye.
0: So, thanks again to Stephen Paliuka for joining us here on the DBR podcast. I think it was a really interesting interview, and I want to get reactions from the two of you. Um, so, from just from, from your talks, so Donald, why don't you why don't you take it first? What was your what was your take on the interview? Was there was there anything that stood out that uh, that Stephen shared with us?
1: The one thing I really liked about uh, Steve's interview is that he, you could tell he he has an immense pride for his kids and. Especially the fact that they played basketball at Duke University, you can hear it in his voice. The the him recalling some of the moments that he shared with his kids. You know, one going to the Final Four, one winning a national championship. The pride that he has. We don't get a lot of Duke parents uh, in 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 that perspective on this podcast, and I think that was a very refreshing perspective. Especially considering who he is. He's he is an owner of an NBA team, and he almost at that point you couldn't tell. Because he was, at that point, a Duke parent. I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed the fact that he talks about how he he basically quit while he was ahead uh, in playing one-on-one against his kids uh, because he knew there was a point they were going to beat them. So uh, I really enjoyed him kind of re- recalling that. But just the sense of, you know, getting that Duke parent perspective and getting it from a guy who really has a stature that very few Duke parents have um, is very, very, you know, I, I think is unique and unique. I really enjoyed seeing that perspective and hearing that perspective from him and really getting to know about his relationship with his kids and how that affects him and his relationship with our university.
0: Donald, do you You think it was a little bit of a cop-out that he doesn't play his kids in one-on-one anymore?
1: No, because here's the thing. I don't have any kids, but when I have kids – I guarantee you, maybe. I'm going to wait until wait, I'm going wait to wait until the wait. Hold on. Is, no, no, maybe no. this is a question. This, this might be a question for in.
0: Jason Evans. Noted, <laughs> noted, uh, noted. Synagogue lead basketball champion, right, Jason? I, I
2: have, to, yeah, I have to chime in at this point because <laughs> I like, uh, like Steve, have two sons, both of whom played basketball. Now they, they didn't play it anywhere close to the Duke level, but they both played high school basketball, uh, sort of like their father. I played high school basketball. Um and my kids reached the high school level. Um, Steve played college basketball, and his kids reached the college level. So I can relate to what he's talking about, and I'm going to tell you guys something, because you all are young, and you don't understand this yet. <laughs> when your kids get to be about 15 or so, and they get to be tall enough and physically strong enough that they could possibly compete with you, that's right around the time that your body starts to go to shit. <laughs> <laughs> So I, too, have not played one-on-one with my sons in several years. And the reason for that is because they would beat the crap out of me because I'm old and broken down. And that's just the reality of turning 40, 45, 50 years old. 40, not so bad. 45, yeah. I'm now 51. Let me tell you something. If I tried to play my 21-year-old son, he would laugh and beat me, you know, 11 to 2 or something like that. It's just not, I'm not fast enough anymore. And I'm sure Steve is the same way with his sons.
1: Well, I, I do remember when I was a kid, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I ran track growing up. And you know I was very fast, but people are like, where did you get your speed from? I got it from my dad. I did not beat my dad in a race until I was like 15 years old. But the day I did was the last time I ever got him to challenge me to a yes. race. Because yes. at that point he realized that I was better than him, and he did not want to have that. He, he was not about that life anymore. And shout out my dad. I love my dad. But when I'm he, he has instilled a life lesson. When I turn like 11 or 12, or when my kids turn 11 or 12, whenever they are way down the line, I quit. I'm quitting while I'm ahead. I'm calling while I'm top. There's no way they're going to beat me because I'm not going to experience the, the face that I saw my dad as I stormed past him in a hundred meter dash
0: i said i I ran circles around my dad in ping pong last week and i think he regretted it entirely jason let me hear your uh (laughs) let me hear your thoughts from from the interview uh what 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 stood out to you
2: we are back on topic now Uh, so there were two moments in the interview that i really i i made a note to myself i went this was a great moment one of them was when he talked about winning the one-on-one campus championship in a halftime game in Cameron. What a cool thing! Mm-hmm. I wish Duke still yeah. did that. <laughs> I think that would just be awesome. I mean, can you imagine? Like, what you got to do is you got to have like, I mean, it'd probably be a you know, two hundred and sixty-four person. I mean, like a you'd have a huge tournament, just one-on-one knocking each other out till you get down to two guys left, and they get to play in Cameron. I think that's amazing. Duke needs to do that again, um, and and then the other one that I loved. What a great story. He's at the Blue-White game last year. The game ends, and he runs out of the stadium so he can call Danny Ainge to tell Danny about Jason Tatum and tell him how great Jason Tatum is because Pags has just seen the coming of the next great thing, and he wants to tell his GM, and Ainge's response is, yeah, I've been watching him since he was five. I love that. (laughs) That's so Danny Ainge. That is so. I'm. I am not a, a huge Celtics fan. Uh, you know, inherently, I, I I root for my Atlanta Hawks. I've I've never been a big Celtics fan, but um, uh, listening to Pags talk about it and and listening to uh, you know, and and admiring um Danny Ainge and what he's put together. Uh, especially with all the Dukies, you have to become a Celtic fan. And and I I just love that Ainge had been on Jason Tatum for a long, long time and that he absolutely fleeced the Philadelphia 76ers for an extra first-round draft pick um, and still got the kid he wanted who uh, arguably has as bright a future as anyone in the NBA right now.
1: He mentioned when he was talking about the Dukies on the team, he was talking about Kyrie, he was talking about Jason Tatum, and he was talking about Simi Ojole, who obviously we all know transferred out and finished his career at SMU. But I think that's important because he is following the mentality of once a Dookie, always a Dookie. And I think that's something that is forgotten sometimes among our fan base. I thought it was very important that he mentioned Semi along uh, along the lines of Kyrie and Jason as Duke family that were on the Celtics. And he was proud of that. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, I thought that was that was an interesting note. and And when we were thinking about this interview, you know, I was, you know the, the three of us were kind of batting questions around and stuff and i thought well i guess i guess we should say that he has three duke guys on the team even though you know duke basketball isn't gonna isn't gonna promote shemmy o'gilay in you know in all the duke blue planet stuff anymore since he transferred away but you know he's he's still in some way a part of the family um because he he was at duke and um and you know knows all those guys was, was obviously friends with Nick. So, um, yeah, I thought that was cool. And, and I thought all the, all the stories were fun. Um, so thanks again to Steven and, uh, and to you guys for conducting that interview. This episode of the Duke basketball report podcast is brought to you by the boys of bird, Campbell, PA with law offices in Florida and Texas. Bird Campbell means business. All right. So earlier today, Duke basketball put out the final uh, final form the the final draft of the non conference schedule for this season. So we're going to take a look at that. We already knew before today that Duke was getting Kentucky in the Champions Classic in Indianapolis to tip off the season in early November. And we already knew that they were returning to the Maui Invitational, a tournament at which Duke has never lost a game in all of their appearances. And we also knew that they were going to be hosting Indiana in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We did not know the rest of the schedule. um, And so the additions today included, um, I think, highlighted by a Veterans Day game uh, against West Point, Coach K's alma mater, of course, on November 11th. And then other home games against Stetson, Hartford, Yale, and Princeton throughout the end of November and December. Duke gets Texas Tech and Madison Square Garden. I think we also knew about that one before today. And then uh, they get St. John's and Cameron in a return game from last year's Madison Square Garden contest. The game this year is in Cameron in early February. So I think a pretty standard uh, non-conference schedule based on the sort of the last few years of of non-conference scheduling for Duke. So I'll throw it to Jason first. What's your what's your impression of of what we learned today about the schedule? Is any of it particularly interesting to you?
2: Well, you may say it's standard, but I think this is a a real upgrade on on last year's schedule, and this is one of the toughest schedules that I've seen for Duke. Um, I, I, I you know Army, Stetson, Hartford, Princeton, and Yale should all be easy. I know Donald wants to talk a little bit more about Eastern Michigan, so I'll let him talk about them but i mean eastern michigan returned their top 3 scorers and all three of those guys are going to be seniors um and they've got a big man who is an absolute double double machine who will not be intimidated by the duke big men um so are eastern michigan's a pretty good team um indiana who we play for the second year in a row in in the acc big 10 challenge uh is i think has significantly upgraded from the indiana team of last year and and they gave us all we could handle last year um they've got romeo langford uh, as a freshman, um, I saw him at the McDonald's All-American Practices, and at times he was absolutely the best player on the floor out there playing you know alongside Cam Reddish, Zion Williamson, and R.J. Barrett and all the other guys. I mean, Romeo Langford is a crazy, ridiculous stud, um, and Indiana brings back a lot of the guys they had on last year's team. I think Indiana's a top 25 team. Kentucky is a top five team. And, and then the the Maui field is really going to be tough. Um, uh, our first round matchup um, against San Diego State. San Diego State is another team that I think may be on the fringe of the top 25. They bring back four of their top six scorers and they have a strong recruiting class. I mean, you you may think, oh, they're nothing, but San Diego State is gonna think they can compete with Nevada um, in their conference. Um, They will not be easy. Uh, After that, we probably get Auburn, who is a top 10 team. And then probably you're playing Gonzaga in the championship. They're a top five team. So between, uh, and I forgot to mention Texas Tech. we got Texas Tech, who was a top 10 team last year. Now, they lost a lot, but they'll be decent again. I mean, this is a schedule where Duke is playing multiple top five teams, multiple top 10 teams, multiple top 25 teams in their non-conference. I mean, that's a really tough schedule. Um, and, and I'm impressed that with a young team, I think the youngest team Coach K has ever had, certainly the least experienced team he's ever had. That Coach K is biting off this much. It tells me something perhaps about what he thinks these guys can bring to the table. Could be
0: special. Donald, did you want to tell us a little bit about the Eastern Michigan squad?
1: Guys, give me one second.
0: Oh my god, it
2: sounded like he's just, it sounded like he placed us in a um, in a
0: toilet. In the WWE ring where there was a chair being thrown.
2: <laughs>
1: that was loud. Do so you
0: guys hear me? I'm in a yeah, bar. I can hear you. There's still some background noise. You're in a bar?
1: Yeah. yeah. Give me one second. This is great. This is this is great <laughs> audio. Leave this in.
0: He's Leave in a bar. In. <laughs> That's uh, so cool. You know what? Hey. This isn't as bad. This isn't as bad as me calling in from the Hooters parking lot a few years ago.
2: <laughs> there was just a car driving by. We just heard a motorcycle.
0: Yeah, Donald, are you okay, man? Are you involved in any in any sort of in any sort of <laughs> gang violence? is, is, are, 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 is everything okay?
1: I'm in mean, Utah. It's fine. <laughs> wait
2: wait how are you at a bar in utah it's dry <laughs> the whole, the whole utah,
1: state is dry <laughs> utah is not dry let me tell you it's very not dry <laughs> donald donald
0: actually was bootlegging <laughs> okay um ask the Donald. what again. do you think Donald's about the gone. non-conference schedule we're leaving this in we're not editing any of this out that's fine that's
1: fine i don't care um look i want to talk about my birthplace I was born November 30th, 1982, in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I was born at St. Joseph Mercy Hospital, which is across the street from Eastern Michigan University. And I cannot tell you how excited I am to see Duke play Eastern Michigan on November 14th. It is they. So here's the thing, Eastern Michigan, Jason. You 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 like to you you them a little bit. They are not a good team. They were not a good team last year. They were not a good team the year before that but they are a team that is steadily improving. And with those three guys that you mentioned, and especially the big guy that's like a double-double machine, he is going to lead them to what should be a much improved season from years past. And I think that's what's most exciting is because we're getting a team that has a lot of potential, and they're going to play out of their minds in Cameron. That's what, they're, you know, that's what we have to expect with all these, all these tapes. But with, especially Eastern Michigan, it's going to be great to see – a team from literally where I was born uh, playing Cameron. I think that's a great thing. I do think that Indiana um, is going to be a great matchup in Cameron. It's always going to be one of the, one of the great matchups. But really the Maui Invitational in the Kentucky game, really, let's talk about Kentucky for a second. I think it's going to be a great matchup, but it's the first game of the season, so there's really not a lot you can take from that. Um, the fact that they moved the season a week, uh, basically like a week up um, in putting that first really means that it's just the first game. It's going to be a lot of hoopla about it, but you really can't take a lot from it because it is the first game. That Maui Invitational, that's where we're going to see what this team kind of becomes because I think that's going to be a really great field and a lot of, a lot of great tests in Maui. And like you said, Sam, we've never lost there. So um, I, I think that is something that you know I'm looking forward to. Um, I know a lot of Duke fans are going to be out there in Maui, and I think that's going to be where we can see where this team really is going.
0: I would I would contend actually that this would be a, this is a good year for them to be switching it up as far as the timing of the Champions Classic because Duke has those ex, those extra exhibition games um, in August so they'll have had five tune-up games with the with this roster to get ready for Kentucky now Kentucky is going to be much much better than any of the teams that they'll play prior to that but I'll be I'll be ready to jump in and and start you know taking things away from that game i'm i i think that given the extra practice time they'll have this year and given a lot of the talent that we're excited to see in guys like barrett and williamson um i i want to be able to to draw conclusions about this team pretty quickly because they're going to have to learn quick um you know there are there are those tough games in Maui. uh jason i i I guess i don't know enough about romeo langford to know how much better indiana is going to be this year but i'll trust you that that they're going to be much improved, although the game is in Cameron. So uh, th- this team doesn't have a lot of time to get ready for conference play, and it's going to go by really quickly for them, um, probably quicker than it has felt for teams in the past where they could rely on senior leadership. That There's not going to be much of that this year. Marquis Bolden is going to be the most experienced guy on the team, and he's been pretty much a bit player his for his first two years in Durham. So um, we we need to be we need to be understanding this team and learning about them and they need to be learning about each other pretty quickly. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. I am generally glad that the, that the regular season kicks off with the, with the champions classic. Cause I think it gives the sport and it gives Duke an opportunity to really be, you know, on the national stage immediately. Uh, I think that, that, you know, the, the way that the college basketball season sort of feels like it, it comes in like a lamb uh, in November every year doesn't really do the sport many favors so hopefully hopefully having that marquee event coinciding with the actual first night of play uh is going to be good for college basketball and of course good for duke because we love when the blue devils are on espn and playing for everybody because they tend to shine Let's go around the horn now um, and talk about some NBA news. Uh, there's a lot of former Blue Devils who got to play in Summer League this year and a couple others who, who signed some new contracts. So I wanted to touch on a few of those and, and get your your guys' Jason and Donald, your reactions to uh, some of the Blue Devil in the NBA news from over the summer. So I want to start with, um, with Grayson Allen, who – as, as you all may recall, was drafted by the Utah Jazz last month. Um, had a pretty great Summer League run, although <laughs> the headlines were unfortunately dominated by a little scuffle that he had with uh, with former Oklahoma guard Trey Young. Um, Donald, did you uh, did you get to see Grayson Allen's Summer League play at all? And uh, do you think that the Jazz got a steal with their 21st pick in the draft?
1: I think they did. And, and here's the thing about Summer League that has really improved over the last few years is that it is now a – something that people put their eyeballs on. I mean, it used to be two years ago, they were in high school gyms in Vegas and it was barely on NBA TV and people were like, oh, you can't really take much from this. Now they're in, you know, in in the Thomas and Mack Center. They're in the you know the Utah's arena where there's sold-out crowds and people are coming to see these piece play, the the you know, some guys make their mark on the team. And what it does is it gives kind of an elevated boost as to what you might be able to expect from the regular season, and I think with Grace Vallon, you can see that he's going to be a guy that they can they can count on down the stretch. I, I'm I'm not sure if if there's a lot that you could take from summer league in the sense of is he is he up to NBA caliber yet? No, he's not going to be. He he just got there, but I think by the time training camp starts, this will be an opportunity for him to really look at the tape and say, hey, I can. I can compete in the NBA. I can be a star in the NBA. And if he comes in with that mindset, the Utah Jazz are better for it.
0: I mean, we've known that he's physically capable of handling the NBA. It, it's a matter of, right, putting it all together for him. And and I think that, you know, it, that showed in his summer league performance.
2: Just lightning fast, I just want to mention about Grayson. Um, we should note that uh, as a senior, um, as a guy who just graduated, um, he he was actually older than most of the guys he was playing with in summer league. I I don't say this to put him down or anything like that. He had a really good summer league, and I think he is going to be a contributor at the NBA level, which is, you know, great for him. And and I think Utah did get a really good pick when they picked him up. But, um, but let's just remember in summer league that he was playing against a lot of guys who were 19, maybe 20, and Grayson's 22, I think. So, you know, just wanted to point that out. All right. A grain of
0: salt has been, has been noted. Jason, <laughs> tell me, tell me uh, about your impressions of the limited performance we got to see from Marvin Bagley. Unfortunately, his summer league time was cut short by an injury, but he was sort of up and down uh, in, the, in the couple games that we saw from him. What do, you, what do you make of his brief summer league tenure with the Kings?
2: Well, well, like you guys were saying, I mean, you shouldn't read. You should never try and read too much into summer league. Um, there are guys who excel in summer league who end up not being players very much, and there are guys who don't do well in summer league who then end up being really good. Um, that that said, I, I think I think the Kings probably had hoped that Marvin Bagley would be a little bit better than he was in summer league. Um, as you mentioned, he injured his pelvic bone. That's that's his butt. Um, he was a pain in the rear. Um, haha. He, so he only got to play in four games. In one of those four games, he only had two shot attempts in 29 minutes. That's like, I can't even, that doesn't sound un- like a Marvin like. Bagley. Yeah. That, that's not the guy that we knew at Duke. Um, and and uh, you know, that really surprising that, that he didn't do more, but he had a couple other games. He had two other games where he scored more than 15 points. Um, he definitely struggled with his shot. Some uh, he only shot ten percent on his three pointers, and just thirty-three percent from the floor in general. Um, but but look, I mean, he's uh, he was young. He was very active. Um, his D, uh, you know, as we knew at Duke, his D is going to he, he needs some work on defense. But he showed flashes, little moments where he was dominant. And um, and I, I you know I don't think we saw anything that is overly concerning. Although we didn't see anything that was overly bright and wonderful from him. You know, there's another guy I want to talk about from the Kings who was playing on the team with Bagley, and that's Harry Giles. We got to see our first Harry Giles action um, this summer because he sat out all of last year as he was recovering from his injury. He showed even more flashes, I think, than Bagley did, although Giles um, really struggled to create his own shot at times. He averaged about 10 points a game, um, uh, a lot of athleticism, and, and he showed that he can score in a variety of ways from, you know, mid range and up close. And he even went outside and shot some threes. Uh, but the place I was really impressed was how aggressive and physical he was on defense. He, he, um, he was grabbing lots of rebounds as well, averaged about seven rebounds a game. Um, and remember in summer league, you're not playing, you know, no one plays like 35 minutes in a summer league game. Everyone plays like, you know, mid 20. So seven rebounds per game is pretty good for Harry Giles. I thought, I actually thought Giles looked better than Bagley during his summer league play. And, um, uh, it looks like, you know, you want to talk about steals. I think the Kings, when they picked Giles at number 20, number 19, number 20, uh, number 19, I think it was last year. Um, I think they may have ended up getting a real steal there.
0: Yeah. And I was actually, I wanted to to follow up by asking you about Giles. So thank you for, for prompting it for me. Let me go back to Donald real quick. Um, we got news recently that Trevon Duval, who went undrafted last month, signed a two-way contract with the Milwaukee Bucks. So they're able to shuttle him back and forth between the the NBA squad and their G league team in Wisconsin. Um, so he'll probably spend most of the season in the G league, but he may get opportunities to play in the NBA for, for stretches tomorrow or uh, this coming season. Uh, and, and he'll be on a team that, that is kind of retooling a little bit. Obviously Jabari Parker's not there anymore. We'll talk about him in a minute, but um, Donald, do you think that this is, that this is a good landing spot for, Duval, given his sort of uneven performance um, in summer league, playing for the Rockets,
1: I think it's a chance. It's a chance for him to get into the NBA because he did not have that chance a couple weeks ago, or or actually a month ago when he was drafted, when he went undrafted in the NBA draft. With the with Milwaukee Bucks, he has you know there's a couple of point guards, and I think with his skill set, especially with his dribbling and his penetration, he has a chance to make a mark, but. He has to really improve his shooting. I think with this two-way contract with the Milwaukee Bucks, he'll have a chance to work on that shooting in the G League. And when he does that, that's really going to help his stock. I mean, Quinn Cook, I think, has a much better skill set, you know, entering the NBA um, than Trayvon Duval did. But at the end of the day, he worked hard. He did a lot of work in the G League, and that's what got him his looks, and that's what got him his opportunity. And he made the most of it. So that's what he has to do. He has to go with the mindset improve every day, make your mark and when the time comes when the opportunity comes for him to join the big club in Milwaukee, make the most of it. Take your shots, make your passes, you know, do your, you know, do your thing and show that you belong in the NBA and show that you belong to that you need to stay up with the big club. I think that's what every that's what the two-way contract is for and I think in the end of the day, he needs to really accept this and say, this is my opportunity to get into the NBA. This is how I have to do it. Let's go ahead and do it.
0: I'm curious to find out if, if Milwaukee has a shooting coach that's going to be helping Duval sort of develop his shot, and, and hopefully that'll that'll ease his transition and and make it more likely that he is able to succeed at the next level. So we'll be looking out for that. And then finally, Jason, I wanted to come back to you. Um, the Chicago Bulls had had a lot of interaction – uh, with Duke players this summer, of course, they drafted Wendell Carter with the seventh pick. Um, he showed out really well in summer league, and then just the other day, they signed hometown uh, hometown guy Jabari Parker to a two-year, forty million dollar contract. Um, Parker kind of had a sort of up and down time in Milwaukee, but uh, he gets to he gets to start fresh in Chicago. So, what was your impression of uh, of the Bulls in in, in their summer uh, of of Duke players? Well, so first of
2: all, let's talk about Wendell Carter, who made the All Summer League first team, um, <laughs> which which is a thing apparently. <laughs> um, uh, Wendell Carter was as good as any player um, in summer league basketball, um, and and he was, you know, this was a draft that was full of big men. Um, it was considered a big man heavy draft, um, and. You know Jaron Jackson Jr. and DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley and the, the list goes on and on. Mo, uh, Mo Bamba, um, Carter was the best of any of them in summer league. There's little question of that. He averaged almost 15 points per game, um, nine and a half rebounds per game, 2.6 blocks per game. His defense. I mean, people who watched summer league games were raving about Wendell Carter's defense, his anticipation, his ability to to block shots and alter shots, uh, his ability to help. On defense, I mean, Wendell Carter looked, uh, he looked fabulous and he was even stepping out. Look, we saw it at Duke. He was hitting three-pointers in college. He hit them in the pros as well. He stepped out to the NBA three-point line and he was hitting three-pointers. There are people who are already saying that with the seventh pick in the draft, in a deep loaded draft, the Bulls may have gotten the future NBA Rookie of the Year in Wendell Carter. That's how good of a summer league season he had. Now, as for Jabari Parker, his deal with the Bulls is a really interesting one. Um, everyone is talking about it's two years, $40 million. That's a lot of money, but only one of those years is guaranteed. And I think what the Bulls essentially did is they got one year at $20 million of Jabari Parker, and uh, they'll see. If he is great, if he has a really fabulous season, maybe they pick up that option, but I think it's pretty likely that they... We'll let him go because they're going to want cap space next summer. Next summer is the summer of the free agent. Everybody and their brother are going to be free agents next summer. LeBron James won't be, but a lot of other guys will be. And teams have tons of cap space, and there's going to be a lot of bidding for high-profile free agents. Um, And the other thing I wanted to mention about Jabari Parker, and, and by the way, congrats to him on getting paid. Even if it ends up only being one year, $20 million, you're set for life. Boom, immediately. $20 million, that's a crazy amount of money. Um, I, I would take one tenth of that and gladly sit back and enjoy myself. So way to go Jabari. But I wanted to mention one other thing. Did you guys see Jabari's quote about defense? He said, they don't pay you to play defense. Um, it, it's a pretty controversial quote. Now Jabari doesn't play much defense and he just got paid $20 million. So I guess he's right. But people saw that they cringed. They were like, "Ooh, no! You shouldn't be saying that it's only half a game because didn't, uh,
0: defense." Didn't James Harden just win? Didn't just James Harden just win the MVP award? Yeah, but Harden was actually—he yeah, he, he was better
2: on defense this year than he's been in the past.
0: That's a low bar. You know <laughs> that. <laughs> that's that's so why I asked.
1: <laughs> James James Harden couldn't guard a Garden No like, <laughs> and he won MVP.
2: I guess Jabari's right then, but I was just like,
1: Ooh, I don't know,
2: man. Don't be saying that stuff out loud.
0: Right. Especially like James Harden can say it because like, he's, he's that good on offense that, you know, it's fine. Jabari Parker has not quite been on that level yet. Yeah. But Jason, those are great updates. Um, So hopefully everyone was, uh, was tuning into summer league. As Donald mentioned, it's become uh, much more of a, of a, of a product in its own right the last couple of years. Uh, So definitely paying it you know it's over for this summer but but paying attention to it going forward i think is going to be is going to be worthwhile and fun and and blue devil fans should always check in because it seems like we've always got a new crop of of young blue devils who are who are trying to make it in the league so we'll wrap up uh this episode with our parting shots as we often do uh, we don't have we don't have players of the week, of course, because we didn't have any games this week. There were no Duke games this week, but there will Wendell be Carter. some
2: coming up. Wendell Carter was the player of the week.
0: <laughs> All right, Wendell Carter player. Of the I agree. Week. Great job, great job in summer league. Uh, we will have players of the week coming back very soon, much sooner than than we usually do, because we do have games coming up in a few weeks. But uh, Donald, I'll go to you first for your parting shot from your uh, bootlegging operation out there in Salt Lake City.
1: It's a it's a great operation. Don't knock it until you try it. Um,
0: with my parting shot, I want to talk
1: about LeBron James. And if you have been living under a rock or you're living in Jupiter, uh, not Florida, the, the planet, um, LeBron James signed with the Los Angeles Lakers guys. And, uh, it's been a big deal because a lot of players have decided that because LeBron is on the Lakers, the Lakers is now a destination and he has been creating what they are calling the LeBron super team. Now, is this really a super team? I don't think so because we're not talking about the big name free agents of 2018 signing with the Lakers, Paul George, who has literally been on OKC, OKC Thunder all year, talking about going to the Lakers, re-signed with OKC. Kawhi Leonard, who has said, I want to go to the Lakers, is now in Toronto and now needs to stamp his passport and pay those taxes. Uh, You know, those type of guys aren't going to the Lakers right now. Now, does this shift the balance of power in the West? No, it doesn't. There's still one team. It's Golden State. Golden State, somehow, the two-time NBA champions, three out of the last four years, got better by adding DeMarcus Cousins for basically a ham sandwich. And at the end of the day, you have Golden State, you have Houston, you have you know, Oklahoma City is still a pretty good team. You have the San Antonio Spurs who got DeMar DeRozan, and DeMar DeRozan, While he may not want to be there, he's probably the best player on that team at this point. You have these guys, you have these teams coming out here, and the Lakers really need to assert themselves if they're going to be, quote-unquote, one of these super teams. So the whole super team talk with the L.A. Lakers uh, changing the shifting the balance of power in the West, I just don't see it, guys. And hopefully, I mean, LeBron is LeBron, but I think his streak of eight straight NBA Finals is about to end.
0: Hey, you know what? LeBron uh went back to the Cavs who had nobody and you know, I mean they they had Kyrie for a little bit, but even without Kyrie last year, LeBron still dragged them to the finals. So, I am a I am a LeBron believer. I don't I don't think that he's going to be able to get past Golden State um just because we know how loaded that team is, but don't count out LeBron. That's my that's my general take is that is that he- he is capable of superhuman uh, Let's beats, be clear. So.
1: I never count out LeBron. I think LeBron's one of the greatest players of all time. I just count out the Lakers. That's it. Well, so, and, and I think that's hang fair.
2: Hang on. So let me say this. Two things about it. The first one is there's no question that LeBron James is in a better situation right now than he was two months ago. Um, his teammates um, Why? He's are, not guaranteed to waltz into the
0: finals anymore.
2: Uh, no, he wasn't guaranteed either. He wasn't guaranteed in the East— because um, the Celtics, are, you know, when the Celtics two best players aren't injured, the Celtics are making the finals. Um, but re- I'm just talking in terms of the quality of his team um, and winning a title. There's no question that that the the youngsters that the Lakers have, youngsters who are getting older and getting better, plus the, the free agents that they've signed, that they the Lakers are better. The supporting cast there is better than the supporting cast he had in Cleveland. I mean, do either of you guys disagree with that? There's no
1: question about that, is there?
0: only because they got our dude, Brandon Ingram, right?
1: Exactly. That's it. And that's all, that's all we're talking about here. Don't talk about anybody else. Whatever the reason the bottom
2: line is his supporting cast is better right now today than it was two months ago. And I'm convinced the most important aspect of that signing was not that he signed with the Lakers. It's that he signed with the Lakers for four years. LeBron made it very, very clear. I am here and I'm here to build something trying to go to one more finals next year doesn't mean anything to him. That's not why he's on the Lakers. He's there for several seasons. And like I said, a couple minutes ago, next year is the summer of the free agent. Kawhi Leonard is going to be a free agent. I He's going to go to the Lakers. It's like almost unquestionable that he's going to go to the Lakers. There are a bunch of other guys who are top end free agents who are going to follow Kawhi and LeBron. And that team, 2018-19, no, the Lakers are not making the finals. 2019-20, 2020-21, 20, I think the Lakers are going to be the favorites
1: to make the finals out of the West. Yeah, but here's the thing, though, with the Lakers, there's no next year. It's now. They didn't sign LeBron to make the finals next year. They made they signed LeBron to make the finals now. I and disagree. I, where, I disagree. Well, no, I, that's, I, no, that's what the Lakers is. I mean, the Lakers. If you think about it, when they signed him, they were there were people who were like, he became the fourth best Laker of all time, like just by signing with the Lakers that means that there is a there is a pressure in LA and that's what he wanted. He wanted to sign with LA because if he takes LA to a championship, it will solidify his legacy as one of the best, if not the greatest player that has ever lived. And I think that is what but at the end of the day, the Lakers didn't like they're they're getting all these players but they're saying they're not trying to get these players to compete next year. They're not getting Rajon Rondo to compete next year. They're, they're getting these guys to compete now. And I think at the end of the day, they have to ask themselves, has the balance of power shifted? The answer is no. But for the Lakers, they want it to be yes. Well, well wait, hold on. I, I agree
2: with you that they want to make the finals and and they're going to try, but your your point about LeBron went, needs to go there, cement his legacy by winning another title. He's not winning a title next year, no matter where he goes. Unless he goes to Golden State, he's not winning a title next year. Or, or if he could have figured out a way to go to the Celtics, maybe. Um, or Houston, or Houston, right? But he, he, he you know, those weren't going to happen. Um, so he went to a place where he can win a title, not next year, but in future years. Donald, you're right. His legacy is on. He needs to win another title or two. He went someplace where he can do that, and he doesn't have to do it in 2019 for it to be valid, for it to validate him as, you know, alongside Michael and Wilt and Russell and a couple other guys is the greatest of all time.
0: I think that I think that Donald's point is just that the the rumblings in LA will be loud if if LeBron doesn't make the finals, even if those expectations aren't fair given the the rest of the state of the league. And and that's just a function of being the Lakers and being, you know, one of arguably the most successful franchise in NBA history. So but we'll we'll see how all that works out. Jason, I I wanted to go to you for your parting shot. I know we're running long here today.
2: Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So uh, for my parting shot, I wanted to we're staying on an NBA theme um, and, I, you know, I'm going to say something that's pretty obvious, but I looked up some stats and I looked into it a little bit. So what the hell? I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, Dukey's in the NBA. Duke had a reputation for a long time as a school that did not produce good pros. And let's be honest, the reputation was well-deserved. I mean, Danny Ferry, Bobby Hurley, Christian Laettner had disappointing careers. I know injuries played a huge role in that, but they had disappointing careers. If you're the team that drafted Danny Ferry, Bobby Hurley, Christian Laettner, who arguably were the three best Dukies over the you know late 80s, early 90s, you, your draft did not go well for you. And immediately after that, Cherokee Parks and Trajan Langdon were lottery picks, lottery picks, who really did very little in the league. Trajan only lasted three years. William Avery was picked one pick outside the lottery. He basically was a lottery pick. He didn't even last three years. Jay Williams had the motorcycle injury. Uh, Duke's reputation as a team that didn't produce good pros was well-deserved. That reputation is now ancient history, my friends. Last season, there were 19, 19 different Duke players who played in a regular season NBA game. And that doesn't count Emil Jefferson, who was on the Timberwolves roster for several weeks and didn't play, or Seth Curry and Harry Giles, who are both on rosters getting paid but couldn't play because of injury. Only Kentucky had more players in the league last year than Duke. And Kentucky, we're coming for you because we're adding at least four more guys this year, three first-rounders plus Gary Trent. And Trevon, as we mentioned, is on a two-way deal. He's got a chance to play in the league as well. And it's not like we got a lot of guys who are about to retire. JJ Redick is still going strong. Luol Deng has two more years of a big money contract. You know, Josh McRoberts, Jalil Okafor, Marshall Plumlee, those guys are looking for teams at this point. But for the most part, Duke is doing nothing but adding new guys every year. So next year at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum next year there will be 15 of the 30 teams in the league, half the league will have a Duke player on their roster. And if you root for the Celtics, the Bulls, the Lakers, the Kings, or the Trailblazers, you will have at least two Dukies on your team. A lot of these teams are being built around Duke players. And this is the point I wanted to make here. I think it is good for Duke and our combating of the hate. We talk a lot about how everyone hates Duke. It's good for Duke that we have guys succeeding in the NBA because I think that combats the hate a little bit. Think about this. If you're a Celtic fan, if you're a Bulls fan, if you're a Kings fan, how much can you hate Duke when we're the team that gave you Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum? We're the team that gave you Wendell Carter and Jabari Parker. We're the team that gave you Harry Giles and Marvin Bagley. You can't hate Duke that much if your team, if you're the team you love, is built around a couple Duke guys, and that's the case in Boston, Chicago, and Sacramento, and it's the case, you know, with many other teams around the league. So Jason, I just wanted to point that
1: out. Yeah. Can you say that louder for the people in back? Because I don't think they heard you. Tell them what
0: time it is. It's Duke time, baby. Hey, and 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 for for my uh, for my hometown squad, the the Washington Wizards, they picked up Austin Rivers. I believe it's their first Duke player since the end of Christian Leitner's career, like in the early two thousands. Um, so, so even teams that traditionally don't pick up Duke guys, they're they're starting to catch on. Uh, so, I'm I'm all for it, Jason. I I I love that we've got alumni sprinkled throughout the league, and and I look forward to to watching them all succeed. I'm gonna finish up this week. I'm gonna talk about. A guy that you just briefly mentioned uh, in your litany of sort of Duke NBA draft busts or or NBA failures from from Duke, and that's Jason Williams, who of course had his had his horrible motorcycle accident. He did an interview this week on Bill Simmons' podcast, and we know that Bill Simmons is probably not the biggest Duke fan in the world. Um, and and he got to ribbing J. Will a little bit in the interview, but I encourage everybody to go listen to it, even if you're a Bill Simmons hater. Uh, I thought that. Jason Williams was, uh, was, was really articulate, really interesting. I think that a few years ago when he got into, um, being on television and being a commentator, it was, it was not easy for him at first. Um, he was covering a lot of like high school and, and, and lower college competition. He did some McDonald's all American games, stuff like that. Um, he's now risen up and become one of ESPN's most prominent college basketball commentators and analysts and color guys. Um, I think it's been a a really great transformation for him and and he's really, he's really carved his way um, in that sports media world. And this interview sort of touched on a lot of different topics related to his career and playing at Duke and, and Bill Simmons was trying to get him to admit that that playing at Duke and being one of the guys is like being in a cult and, and they they had sort of a, a funny back and forth about that um but but ultimately Jay Will had some had some cool stuff to say about coach K and the way that he runs the program so uh, if you get a chance after you're finished with with this episode of course and and whatever future episodes of, of our show that we put out um I recommend uh, checking out that that interview that that Jason Williams did with Bill Simmons so By the if way, future episodes Sam, yeah
2: we got to tease it once again future episodes that's a future favorite.
0: episode we've got, yeah, we've got, we've got, like I said, we, then the next episode we put out is going to have another great interview on it. So, so look forward to that. Another, another blue devil that, that I think a lot of folks really liked. So, um, you'll, you'll see that coming soon. I don't know exactly when we're going to finish, uh, that episode up, um, hopefully in preparation for the, for the Canada games. Um, but we won't commit to anything here. We, we have some, we have some cool stuff coming down, down the pipe here at Duke basketball report. So that'll be it for this week. Um, It was a jam-packed episode. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, Thank you, Jason and Donald, for joining me as usual. Um, And uh, from Durham, so long for the first time, but the first of many. I'm Sam Klein. For Jason Evans and Donald Wine, this has been Duke Basketball Report Podcast Episode 121, Duke Band. Take us home.